Welcome to Current Situation, your weekly political pulse. I'm your host, Joshua Gale, alongside South Carolina State House Representative Jordan Pace. Every week, our goal is to help you navigate the complex world of politics through biblically conservative perspectives. Before we jump into today's conversation, we want to take a moment to thank our sponsor. Stand for Haiti is a nonprofit empowering Haitians towards self-sufficiency. With over 250 volunteers, the organization has completed 20-plus programs, delivered 800-plus buckets of essential items, sponsors 17 students, and runs a literacy program for 80 students and parents. Stand for Haiti is a resource hub for those wanting to help but unsure where to start. Visit StandForHaiti.com. Today, we're discussing how the South Carolina state budget is developed and the biblical definition of generosity. Jordan, how are you? I'm doing pretty well. How are you, Josh? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I want to say congratulations. Uh, uh, if you follow us on social media, you've seen that Jordan had a um, opinion piece that was published and uh, you could find it on the homepage of Blaze Media, which is uh, Glenn mm -hmm. Beck's media group. Uh, yep. Jordan, um, there are millions and millions of subscribers to Blaze Media, um, and it's really cool to see something that you've written there, and you wrote it really, really well. Can you briefly, before we jump in today, tell us about that opinion piece? Sure. Uh, yeah, they were, they were very uh, generous, but you know, let me post it there. Uh, basic premise of it is uh, that I'm in explaining why I'm not voting for Nikki Haley uh, for for president in the primary on the 24th. We've talked about it a little bit here. Uh, it's just her lack of integrity and and um, when she was governor, you know, whether it was stabbing us in the back on tax hikes or uh, handing out huge taxpayer cash handouts to foreign companies, particularly Chinese companies that never fulfilled you know, their their promises. Or, frankly, her uh, disastrous time at the UN. So, basically, it just lays out the case of all those things and um, why I'm voting the way I'm voting. Yeah. Awesome. It was wonderfully written. Um, and if you go back, I believe it was um, episode five, uh, the Palmetto State Primaries and the Cyrus Anointing, that you can go mm -hmm. back and listen to that podcast if you haven't listened to it yet which does explain more about uh, the primary coming up at the end of this month. Um, so Jordan, today um, we're jumping in. We're going to discuss finances uh, and how the, mm -hmm. the budget at the state level is developed. That's something that we've promised. Um, that is something that does not make a wonderfully enjoyable podcast, but we're going to try to just give this overview. Uh, again, one of our promises of this podcast is to educate folks on what is happening on a state level when it comes to government. Right. So please give us that um, overview um, for viewers like myself. Keep it on that fifth grade level for us uh, so that we can completely get a grasp of it. Um, and, uh, and then we'll jump in, uh, see what the Bible says about generosity. Yeah. So we're not going to get into the the budget itself, like what what's being spent spent on uh, what programs or departments or anything like that. We haven't figured that out yet this year. Uh, that'll be happening uh, next week. But really, what I want to talk about is like how does the budget evolve uh, over time? And it's it takes quite a bit of time for the House budget to get there. Usually, the the governor's office will put together their proposed budget, which has essentially no weight of law at all. It's really just what they want. 
And uh, that'll typically be in our desk when we get the first week or so in January. Also that first week, the Ways and Means Committee, which is the committee of the House that uh, writes the budget, will meet uh, in individual subcommittees. Now I'm going to try to keep, like I said, keep this on a fifth grade level. Uh, there, there are more than half a dozen of these subcommittees and each, each group of three or four legislators in these subcommittees will take on a task, whether it be higher education spending, like for colleges and universities. Uh, there's one for constitutional, uh, uh, agencies. So think DHEC, uh, treasurer's office, you name it, all those things. Economic development has its own subcommittee. Basically, all the things they try to break down into smaller segments. They'll hear, hear testimony. Uh, so, uh, for like the higher ed subcommittee, I sat in on that. I'm not on that committee. I just went to go listen and learn about what the uh, what the asks are going to be. But the colleges will come in, give a report. Here's what we spent money on last year. Here's all the the things we want money for next year. You know, fifty million dollars here, ten million dollars there. Uh, same kind of thing happens with, with the agencies, whether it be, uh, department of natural resources or, um, you know, pick an agency, DHEC or DSS, they all come and give their report. Here's what we spent money on. Here's what we want next year. With, uh, more, either more spending, same spending, uh, none of them ask for less money ever. That's never happened. I don't think ever in the history of the state. Uh, how many more employees they want and the uh, the subcommittees will take that testimony and then basically send their report up to the full ways and means committee which will meet actually I think next week is when they're going to be meeting uh, multiple days in a row and they'll take all that information and then craft a giant ream sized budget um, out of that so the timeline takes several weeks to get to the first full meeting of Ways and Means. And here's one of the weird kind of particulars in South Carolina, though. We have a supermajority Republican, uh, or excuse me, we have a Republican supermajority in the House. So not just majority, like three, four, or two-thirds plus major majority in the House. And yet, the Ways and Means Committee, which is arguably the most powerful committee in, in the House, uh, several of these subcommittees have a majority Democrat, uh, membership. So at a, you know, if it's a three member committee, two of those three will be Democrats and the chair will be a Democrat, which is very unusual. Uh, mm -hmm. I find that very odd. Uh, but that's the way it is for now. So, uh, next, next week, the full ways and means committee will meet. They'll start producing the budget. They'll, they'll, there's a lot of graphs involved. Um, I think they'll still hear some testimony, mainly from the individual subcommittees. We'll kind of report to each other in this big meeting. And eventually, uh, they'll produce the budget, which will land on our desks. Statutorily, there's a law that says with it, you know, that has to, the full budget has to be available to us in printed copy to each member on our desk in the state house, uh, so many days before we debate the budget. So okay. that's kind of how the meat is ground, so to speak, how the sausage is made. Right. And it's very tedious if it's not mm -hmm. something that you're like super interested in. Uh, 
right? Which is why a lot, a lot of people kind of pay attention to it. But to give a, a little bit of example of how much it's grown, uh, last year the budget grew thirteen, more than thirteen percent, compared to the year before. So we're talking uh, about thirteen billion dollars wow. uh, in state spending. This wow. is money out of our pockets, right? And this first version of the budget doesn't include what's called earmarks. Now, folks might have heard of earmarks before. Mm-hmm. This is what individual legislators can request uh, things for their districts. So it could be money for the police department, for protective equipment, or it could be uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars for an orangutan exhibit in their local zoo. And yes, that was a real earmark that was passed in the budget last year. Wow. Uh, I think it was $300,000 for an orangutan exhibit. Crazy stuff. Uh, the earmarks come later after the House uh, the House will vote on the budget over the course of about two or three days. It is uh, uh, nonstop because we have to vote section by section right. and press the button every time. So it takes about two days usually. This We'll send it to the Senate. The Senate will do their same thing, a very similar process, and then they'll send it back with all the earmarks attached that make it through. And we kind of repeat the process based on that. The earmarks are a mess. I mean, this and this is where the term generosity gets thrown, thrown around wrongly. Mm-hmm. Uh, where the individual members were asked for these project funds. And sometimes it's $10,000 for a baseball field, uh, but more often than not, it is hundreds of thousands to millions of dollars, sometimes tens of millions of dollars uh, for something that they just want. Right. Uh, very very little, if any, accountability. There, there's not... These earmarks don't have the same oversight as the actual budgeted funds. It's like the money that goes to to DSS, DSS has to come back and give a report on how they spent that money. Right. The money in these earmarks, more more often than not, we have no idea what to do with the money. Uh, There's no follow-up. There's no oversight. And it's used as as a way to coerce individual legislators to vote for the budget, even if there's a bunch of just junk in the budget that, that they don't like. Uh, specifically I've, I've talked to several freshmen who, who came in, didn't, didn't know how the system worked, uh, you know, put in some earmarks for lights for their ball field and their hometown or stuff for the police you know, sheriff's department or sheriff's office or police department in their hometown. And they were legitimately told, uh, that by other members, Hey, if you put this in, that means you have to vote for the budget. And if you don't vote for the budget, you won't get your earmarks. And sure enough, that's what happened. Uh, the ones that didn't vote for the budget because of it, there was money for uh, state money that went to abortions or uh, because hundreds of millions of dollars went to a private uh, corporation to build electric vehicles that shouldn't have you know, the whole Scout Motors debacle right? Uh, for various reasons. And they didn't get their earmarks. It, wow. It's the currency of corruption in Colombia, uh, and it really needs to end. Right. Sooner rather than later. So it ends by exposing it. Yeah. I mean, it ends by informing people about how this works uh, and, and bringing it up to their, because like I said, most people don't pay attention to this budget process. It's arcane, like it's tedious. And frankly, it can, can be kind of boring. Uh, and it makes sense that people, 
people should tr be able to trust their legislators to look out for them. But more often than not, they're, they're not looking out for the, their constituents. They're looking out for the special interests um, right. that are involved in the process. Right. So For the folks that want to help get them reelected. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I can't remember who said it, but if we literally had every week or every month to take a portion of our paycheck mm -hmm. and hand deliver that, you know, in cash or a check or write a check, we'd pay a lot more attention than we do right now. The yeah. fact that it's taken out of our paycheck and we're just used to just supposed to get used to it, you know, and know that that's a part of life and somehow it just keeps going up and we're the ones that need to learn how to steward and budget really well mm -hmm. what we have. Yet well, the big portion that's taken to a Columbia mm -hmm. is not stewarded well at all. So that's a, uh, if, if we're talking about generosity though, uh, a lot of times the, the folks that are pushing have bigger budgets, more spending. We use this term generosity regarding state budget stuff. Uh, they'll, they'll, you know, we want to give generous benefits or generous pay or generous, whatever. And I think that's been a, a misappropriated term regarding government, uh, in, in Proverbs, uh, Proverbs 22, nine, it says the generous will, themselves be blessed for they share their food with the poor and in the in the throughout the, the bible every instance we see of generosity in that regard is individuals sharing what they have whether it's a lot or very little you know we have the picture of abraham uh across uh from Sodom and gomorrah with some visitors show up to his house. He doesn't know these guys or to his tent. And he's extremely hospitable to them. Like he gives them food, gives them water. He even kills a, the fatted calf, like the best food he had available. He gives to them uh, out of his abundance. And then we also see in the New Testament of when Jesus is preaching before the 5,000, they don't have any food, but this kid shows up with his loaves and fish with his lunch. And he says, I don't have much, but here's this. And that's another picture of generosity there. But nowhere in the Bible do we see a picture or an example of government taking from individuals uh, at, with the threat of violence to give to other people. That's nowhere is that called generous. Uh, so that's where I, I think there's a, a misappropriation there of this term generosity. And frankly, it doesn't work. I mean, if you go look at uh, the Johnson administration, LBJ back in the 60s and 70s, the war on poverty, poverty uh, rates were dropping faster before the war on poverty, like basically before the, before the government got involved than they have since. So even, even if it's well-intentioned, it doesn't work because that's not the role of government, according to the Bible, is to uh, enforce contracts, uphold the law, and like like Paul says in Romans thirteen to uh, to punish evildoers and reward good, reward good by leaving them alone is the implication there. So when government gets out of the scope of doing those things, it fails uh, because the generosity is supposed to be on individuals and on. Uh, with the church as an institution.
Well, and and as far as utility goes too, if we want to be, if we want our dollars to go further, like even it, to to help those who need help, the as a broad spectrum, the government uh, government assistance for every dollar that they take in taxes that goes to welfare type um, systems, uh, roughly thirty three percent. Or thirty-three cent of every dollar they take winds up in the hands of the welfare recipient, of the person who needs the help. Right. So sixty-six cents of that dollar that they take from you is staying within the government apparatus to facilitate all that, versus nonprofits. And you know this very well. Right. Uh, by and large, even with the with the less efficient nonprofits involved in this mix, like the median for nonprofits is the direct inverse of that. It's like 70 cent of every dollar winds up in the hands of those who need the help. Uh, some really, really solid nonprofits will be like 90 cent of every dollar that have low overhead. Right. Uh, and you can find actually a list of those uh, really solid nonprofits on the Secretary of State's website who have 10% or less of their spendings on their own overhead. Yep. Like it, that's how you're effective in helping others. Yeah. Either do it individually or donate that money. Uh, which we do, and particularly in the South and in the United States in general, we're extremely generous on an individual level. Uh, but just imagine how how much more generous we could be and more effective we could be if the government wasn't, government wasn't taking half of our money every year. Right, right. Not to mention, uh, a friend of mine runs a nonprofit called Stand for Haiti. And mm -hmm. um, if you think there's some corruption here, uh, there's there's a lot of corruption there, um, and but he's learned to navigate to make sure that he's a great steward of what is given, so that he can mm -hmm. help and, and minister in Haiti. Um, and he's just so wonderful at what he does. And I'm going to put some information about Stand for Haiti in the show notes. And um, but it's again, it's non, it's it's. <laughs> If you want to be generous, look for the folks that are going to steward your generosity really well. So Jordan, yesterday, um, the Senate passed a $95 billion aid bill for Ukraine and Israel, mm -hmm. um, which is now being sent to the House. Um, let's unpack that really quickly of what you think will happen next, and then what could actually be done with $95 billion, and where is this money coming from? Sure. Yeah, so this, the Senate passed it actually today, early this morning at about 5 o'clock. Uh, they stayed up all night to do it. Uh, there were uh, it was a very it was a very split vote. Like it was not a uh, an overwhelming majority that passed it. That just kind of squeaked by. And the Speaker of the House, which is where it will be going if it were to become law, has said that he has no intention of taking it up. So it's, essentially, it's dead on arrival in the House unless something changes, uh, which is good. The they tried to do it a couple weeks ago with some with some border spending attached to it too. They just try to tack on a, a tiny minuscule, by relatively, uh, by comparison, amount for the the budget, and that it wouldn't go through. So, uh, the where where this money is coming from? Everybody is very aware that we've been dealing with higher than normal inflation for the last several years, mm -hmm. and that is because the chickens have come home to roost on our on our debt. So the U.S. Uh, federal debt. Has now capped, I think, 34 trillion with a T. Uh, a few weeks ago, uh, just a few, like two years ago, it was 31 trillion. So we're we're rapidly speeding that up. 
the uh, the interest that we're paying on the debt is now higher than the spending than the, than what we spend on defense. Like the entire defense budget is now smaller than just the interest on our debt. So where this money is coming from is just we're we're printing it. The Federal Reserve prints more money. They're not really borrowing it from anyone now. There's no one left to borrow from. They're just it's called monetizing. They're printing more bills. Uh, either physically or digitally, and to cover the bases. Uh, and that leads directly to inflation. And just this morning, uh, the inflation rate actually is higher than they expected it to be. I think they were expecting like 2.8, and it wound up being 3.2, hmm. which basically what that means is uh, inflation is not slowing down, which is what the administration has been claiming for the last few months. It's speeding up because they're wow. spending more money. Wow. So that ninety-five million—I mean, what could they? What could they do with it? You list any number of things. What they should do with it is just not print it, <laughs> right? <laughs> and 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 stop contributing to the inflation, which is just is hurting everyone. Right. Uh, but if no one's paying attention, Jordan, and no one's holding people accountable for spending locally, statewide, mm -hmm. and nationally, uh, who's who's stopping anyone, you know? Um, yeah. It's going to take the majority to, to, to come out of their slumber and to, to realize that, you know, if, you know, for me and my house, we know that, that everything that we have comes from the Lord. That's right. And we need to be good stewards of that. But when that money leaves my account and goes locally and statewide and nationally, then I need to have a, a level of accountability there as well. When folks wake up and realize that that we're a victim of our own ignorance and, and lack of accountability, then we're going to step up and be able to then let's let's draw back. Let's realize yeah. that the folks that are spending this money or are accounting for this money have special interest. And mm -hmm. let's realize that um, you know, we're we're in a we're in a steep cycle. This is a, nothing but a cycle that just gets worse and worse and worse and worse. Yep. Um, and we can't leave it up to creative accounting from the U.S. government. Right. We can't leave it up to some economists that can forecast. And you know, and um, you know, there's too many factors that attribute into what what this budget looks like. You know, years ago when we started forecasting uh, our debt and things like that, we didn't know that we'd be and and in, involved in several wars and things like that around the uh, around the globe. Um, so it's it's really how do we pull so back? So the, I used to work for uh, former governor and former congressman Mark Sanford, and this was his uh, constant refrain was the budget's out of control, our spending's out of control. Eventually it's going to catch up to us, and that's what's happened. Uh, when he was in Congress, he proposed something called the Penny Plan, which essentially cut 1% from all federal spending, every agency across the board, just 1%, cut it every year for like three years. So instead of increasing, you decrease just a little bit. You know, at the time, back when we only had about like $25 trillion in debt, it would have stabilized the 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 bleeding you know, of the, the, the debt. Uh, it would have stabilized it in like five or six years. That's all wow. it would have taken. Wow. Now, Rand Paul uh, in the Senate proposed a, a two-penny plan, uh, I think two years ago, and it would have done the same thing, but they had to cut 2%. Now I don't know. Uh, right. What we can do on the state level. So here's what 
uh, I, I was attacked for voting against something called ARPA, the Biden bucks, or what do you want to call it? This infrastructure spending that mm-hmm. the, the feds borrowed a whole bunch of money, printed a whole bunch of money to send to the states to do various projects. Uh, I voted against it, and part of the reason I voted against it and said so was the, the states have to start pushing back on the feds by saying, we don't want this money that's that's impoverishing us through inflation. Like, the states have to start making those stands. Uh, individually, we need to tell, tell, tell our Congress people Thankfully, South Carolina's uh, congressional delegation, all but all but one of them, voted against the that ARPA money, that this Biden bucks, the Green New Deal stuff. Right. But that's what we can do on an individual level and on a state level is stop being beholden, like stop being subservient uh, and indebted to federal spending ourselves. And uh, otherwise, we're gonna be, we're gonna be forced to be out of, uh, off of, off of the, the dole when the money really runs out, like when they can't print the money to catch up. Uh, and you know, if, when, and if the, uh, oil producing countries, OPEC is what it's called right now, all oil, like 90% of oil trades are made in dollars from, from one country to another that trade that oil in dollars. They're quickly heading away from that. And when and if the day comes where oil is no longer traded in dollars by OPEC, then the dollar becomes a lot less valuable and we're really, really in trouble. I mean, that's the oil is essentially what's keeping us afloat. Right. So to speak. It was a very interesting interview with Tucker Carlson and Vladimir Putin and the rest of Mm -hmm. the world is watching, uh, you know, um, you know, we like to feel safe and sound over here, but the rest of the world's watching and they know that our economy is dependent on this oil. Um, and we're making, we continue to make decisions um, that well, rob us from that. It, yeah, it's not even that we're dependent on oil. I mean, every country is effectively dependent on fossil fuels. We can produce enough fossil fuels here in the United States for ourselves without an issue. Which we were. Uh, for which we ago. were under the previous administration, correct. Right. Uh, it's, it's the actual trading of oil internationally and in the dollars that's propping up a currency. And, and once they, once an alternative is established is that's what we got to be prepared for. Right. Absolutely. Especially on a state level, because just to kind of round this out and, uh, as we come to an end, the state appropriations is like 12, 13 billion. Our whole state budget winds up closer to 40, like in the mid 30s, upper to 40, depends how you calculate it. The rest of that money comes from from the DC, from the feds, uh, through Social Security, Medicaid or Medicare, um, Medicaid block grants, things like that. Uh, so we need to be, and that's something that conversation is not even happening on the state level. Is what happens when the feds run out of money? Um, to pay for all this stuff that that we're doing, whether it's in education or the roads, no one's even talking about that. Uh, and we should because it could run out faster than we realize. Right, right. So Jordan, um, you know, 
what kind of questions should folks be emailing? I know email. we said email is secondary to giving a phone call, but mm-hmm. what kind of questions can folks um, be sending to their representatives to make sure that there is a level of accountability as far as spending goes? So I'd say the number one thing would be email your, your state rep and state center and say, we want an end of it to the earmark system. Uh, it's the currency of corruption in Columbia. And we want something that's more accountable and something that doesn't facilitate essentially horse trading, like trading favors hmm. uh, and coercing other reps uh, to get you know, their piece of the pie. Uh, whether it's a grant system, we have a couple different proposals that are out there, but that's the main thing is get rid of this earmark system. And, and a simple thing is to tell your reps, don't grow the budget more than inflation or and or more than our, our population grows. Like it's pretty easy to set that as, the, as the, the limit of how many more people do we have and what's inflation been for the last year? What do we think it'll be next year? Adjust for that, but don't go above that and grow the size of government. Uh, so that, that would be the two simple messages I would ask folks to, to tell their state reps and their state senators, particularly in the next few weeks as we go into budget season. Awesome. Well, Jordan, thank you for enlightening us on what what is going on in Columbia when it comes to how the budget is made and, and this earmark system. And, and um, you know, I definitely feel um, uh, more empowered to um, know what I can do to hold Columbia accountable. Um, and um, I hope we can come to a place where South Carolina is known for our steadfast stewardship. And so uh, if you guys are listening, um, join me in that. Um, That is our our prayer for our state, and that's what we can do with a level of accountability. So thanks for tuning in to Kurt's situation, and we look forward to uh, sharing more with you next week.